Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad that you've tuned in to listen. Very thankful for those of you that are return listeners for giving me the opportunity to teach, for giving me the opportunity to open up the Scriptures and share them uh, with you. I really do enjoy uh, the fact that people are able to study the Scriptures through this podcast. I hope you'll continue to do so. Appreciate the feedback. Certainly would like to get more, too. Uh, if you'd feel free to write me or call me, of course, my contact information I'll provide at the end of the podcast, but it is also on the page wherever you're listening to this, whether it be YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, Podbean, which is the host of the podcast, and the various other places that this is available, Audible, Amazon, etc., etc. You should be able to click on the show and see my contact information right away. So... We care about people that we know, and that's not wrong, right? Even Christians are taught through the Bible things like husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians 5.25. Children are taught to honor their father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, Ephesians 6.2. And Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, The aged women likewise, that they be become that they be in behavior is becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So we, we, we care about our families. Uh, we care about people that are close to us, that we know. We care about how they're doing. They're physical, mental, and hopefully, superseding both of those, their spiritual well-being. Christians in general are taught to have empathy towards members of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 12, 15 says to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. In a context dealing with spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So there it's comparing the physical body with the spiritual body of Christ. And like in your physical body, you feel pain all throughout. So with the spiritual body, the body of Christ, the local church, uh, we feel pain among one another when our brothers or sisters in Christ are suffering, or we feel joy when they have opportunities to rejoice. We're also taught to be sympathetic. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, 8, be all one mind, having compassion one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Uh, so we can do these things because we're taught of God to have brotherly love. In Romans 12, 10, back to that context where we read Romans 12, 15, says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 22, saying, you've purified your souls and obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See, let you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. So in Christ, it's not difficult to care about your brothers and sisters. It's not difficult to care about your physical family because we are taught of God to do such. But then there's this other challenge. What about people of the world? You see, the scriptures give us a way that we're to look at the world. And I, I think that this might become a challenge for some people who struggle with balance. That's one of my favorite words, balance, uh, where people tend to take some scriptural instruction and run with it without considering the balance on the other side of it, like the scale, so to speak. You know, for example, let me give you some scriptures to kind of lead into what, what I've got on my mind. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. There's the key. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I'm not to be conformed to the world, so I'm not as invested in how my barber is doing how the waitress at the restaurant uh, is doing. And, and by the way, me personally, my barber is my wife. Uh, so it <laughs> doesn't apply to me in that specific illustration, and we rarely eat out. But I'm just thinking people in general, 
Christians who often have interactions with the world, the person at Walmart, and I know uh, here locally, a lot of my brethren have gotten into picking up groceries. I still follow the old old school way of actually going in and shopping, but uh, shopping online, real convenient. Go pick it up. They bring it out to you. What about the person that brings your groceries out to you? And one of the things that I hate about the modern world, and I hate it as an evangelist. I'm not, don't take my word. Sometimes people take something that someone says and they don't consider the context in which it's written, just like the scriptures. People often do this. I'm not saying it's wrong to shop online. I'm not saying conveniences are wrong. But one of the things I enjoy doing as an evangelist is getting to know people. Uh, my wife and I generally go grocery shopping at the same time each week, the same day. We have to take our daughter with us. Our adult daughter uh, is mentally retarded. She's really needs to be on a good schedule. So we try to keep a very good schedule with some of the things that we do regularly. And so when we go to the grocery store, we see the same people. At the pharmacy, they know us. Uh, they know what we're coming for. They, they don't ask us for our name. Um, it's about to be to the point where they don't have to ask for other information either. Some of them remember some of those details as well. We're, we're there frequently. My wife, my daughter, and I all have different prescriptions for different ailments that we suffer in the flesh. We get to know people. We talk to them. Well, as an evangelist, that gives me the opportunity to know people and how to teach the gospel to them. Well, one of the things that I hate is when, when I'm at the grocery store now, there's in the morning that we go, rarely ever somebody actually working the checkout line. Well, the other day I thought, well, great, here's the checkout line, and here's somebody there, and we go up, and she just says right away, are you going to use a card? This is card only. And I thought, wow, you know, now at that point we were, we were planning on using uh, cash, and I thought, wow, this is terrible. I'm going to lose the opportunity to talk to somebody today. Uh, I'm going to have to go to the self-checkout line, which is now the common thing. It takes away the human involvement. And when I ask a person ringing up my groceries, how are you doing today? I'm fully invested in taking however much time that person wants to talk to me about how they're doing the day. I genuinely care about how they're doing that day. And I know this, if you're in the world, you're not doing great. Great when someone says, I'm doing good or great or whatever. I understand that that is uh, somebody answering with some form of a generalization because we live in a world where things just aren't great physically uh, and, and emotionally. Just things aren't great. Uh, so how do you balance? I want to talk to this person. I genuinely care with them with being not conformed to this world. And then there's even other instructions like James 4.4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, talking about spiritual adultery there. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Who said therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God? So we have we have these scriptures that tell us not to conform and not to be friends of the world. Well, does that mean I'm not to care at all? Being a Christian, our family, not in the flesh but in the spirit, um, is not physical. You know, in, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus began teaching a principle. I think a lot of people miss this. Mark 3, 31 through 35, Then came then his brethren and his mother, standing without, saying unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God... The same is my brother and sister and mother. He's teaching preference there. His preference is the spiritual family, not the physical. Ephesians 3.15 says the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Uh, in Philippians 3.20 and 21, our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven. From hence, we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it be fashioned unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. So I'm part of a spiritual family. It's not of this world. And as such, especially, you know, in the, in the reference I'm about to give you, he's talking to his disciples who are going to carry the gospel out into the world. Well, I'm not fulfilling the same role apostles did in the first century, but I teach the gospel. And in relation, John 15, 18 and 19 says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world was love zone, but because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 
well, that, that, that's my expectation, right? If you're a faithful Christian, you know people are going to be irritated by your godliness. You know that people aren't going to care for you because you're different. You're separate. You're not like them. Even people that you used to know, you don't run with them the way you used to. First Peter 4, 1 through 5, they think you're strange, right? So we as Christians... We have this, I, I'm not to be conformed to the world. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm not to be a friend of the world. The world is going to hate me. In fact, the world is wicked. First John 5, 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. There's a clear line drawn there. We're supposed to keep our distance. Does it even matter? You know, I, I can look at scriptures back in the Old Testament. The psalmist said, Psalm 139, 21, and 22, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with them that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. And just so you know, the principle doesn't change in the New Testament. Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation, the King James Version. That word means hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave that which is good. Well, the world's evil. I'm to abhor it. So why should I care? Why should I care? I'm to love my brethren. My citizenship is in heaven. My family is my brethren. I'm a member of the church. I'm to care for the church. The world's going to hate me. It's evil. I have clear scriptures that teach me so many things about how I am to look at the world. But as we're going to get to, there's other things to consider. There's a balance. And I want you to think before we even get to those scriptures being God's children, you know, God loves the world, John 3, 16. Not in the way that 1 John 2, 15 says not to, but he cares about lost souls. So you go into a restaurant, and the waiter or the waitress, they're just terrible. And you know that they're going to expect a tip and so forth, so on. The manager walks around and says, you know, how are, how's your food? How's your service? And you just look at them and you just say, you know, this waiter or waitress is terrible. They don't deserve to serve dog food in a kennel. They have no means whereby they, they're good servants. Let me ask you a question. What if that waiter or waitress just lost somebody they love, but... They could not afford to take a day off work. Maybe it just happened that morning. But they cannot afford to take the day off of work. They won't get paid if they don't work. So they are doing the very best that they can not to cry, not to break down, not to sob. They're trying to do their job. And as a result, they're just focusing so much on getting your food to the table that they're forgetting to ask you if they want for a refill. What if, what if, what if the plumber that comes to your house makes a mistake? What if he's doing the best he can to rectify it, but you're, you're just ready to go off? What if that plumber just lost his wife that day and he cannot afford to take a day off? Furthermore, he felt obligated to fulfill his appointment with you. If you lost your spouse, somebody you love dearly, very close to you, do you think you would be entirely focused on other tasks? So you rage on the plumber. Hmm. What if you're driving down the road and somebody's driving erratically and you're mad, so you just lay on the horn? You're angry. Road rage starts to kick in. What if that person's having a medical emergency or any combination of terrible things? What if the person you're encountering wherever it is, putting your groceries in your car, saying hello to you when you walk into a place, going down the street, a neighbor, what if they're having the worst day of their physical life? And they're doing everything that they can not to show it. And as a result, they're coming across to you a certain way. In Proverbs 18, 13, something that uh, the brethren here in El Paso, we, we, we did these classes for several years where, where we, we called them discernment classes, where we would look at scenarios and we'd talk about them. How would we handle this scenario? 
Well, there are two scriptures that came up almost every time we talked about scenarios. Proverbs 18, 13, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it's a folly and shame unto him. And John 7, 24, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You don't know what's going on with someone. Now, I understand the challenges. Matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I got a phone call, a young lady. She said she's a single mother. She's going to college. She has no money. And she needed a bus pass because she just got a new job and she needs to get to work. Now, the world makes it hard on us sometimes. She wanted to buy a bus pass, somebody to buy her bus pass. Uh, my guess is, as I was talking to her, she just really wanted somebody to give her money. Who knows what the real story is? And because the world is wicked, who knows, right? So what I offered was to give her a ride to work. I'll take you, uh, or I'll get somebody to take you. We'll make sure you get to work. Um, what time do you need to go? Oh, it's not till several days later. Where do you need to go? Well, she wasn't sure. Makes it very difficult, right? I, what I tried to keep in mind during that conversation was maybe something else going on. Maybe she does need to get to work and she needs a ride, but maybe while I'm asking her these questions, she's sitting there thinking, what do I do with my child? Or, I mean, yeah, it's possible she doesn't have a child. Possible she wants drug money. Who knows what's really going on? Possible that she wants a bus pass to go do something that she shouldn't be doing. Who knows what's really going on? But I tried to help as much as I could, um, and she turned down the help that I offered. Well, these things make it difficult on us because we just might then start thinking everybody that asks for help's lying and they got some kind of ulterior motive. And you know what? The majority of the time that may be true. But what about the time that it's not? I want to turn your attention now to why we're, we're going to talk about what about his or her day. And the example that we're going to use from the scriptures is when Jesus teaches a parable. Now, a parable is just a story, something that's made up to teach a principle or a lesson. If you go back and listen to the parable of the firemen that I gave uh, in the podcast history, uh, I kind of cover the purpose of, podca or of podcasts, rather, of parables at the beginning of that podcast. So in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and he departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave him the host, and he said to him, Take care of him, whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Here, here's our lesson. Now, it's obvious in this parable about the Samaritan that helped the man in the way. It's obvious he wasn't scheming or scamming. Sometimes there's very clear situations. And we live in a world that I understand all the challenges of what we're about to talk about. You see somebody broken down on the side of the road, you don't know what they're going to do to you if you pull over to help. And maybe you find certain ways you look, and maybe it's a, a young lady. You don't know who's hiding in the car, beside the car. You don't know what that young lady might do. She might pull out a gun or a knife or all manner of other types of things. We live in a very messed up society right now where people are taking advantage of people and robbing people and murdering people. And for no reason at all, uh, we got to find a way though, folks, where we can care about people and not be so guarded that we excuse ourselves from any responsibility toward our fellow man. 
The principle of love thy neighbor as thyself is not just an Old Testament instruction. The church in Rome, in, in Rome was told in Romans 13, 8 through 10, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. There be none of the commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, who is my neighbor? Right? That's, the, that's why we started with Luke 10, 25 through 37. Somebody who has a genuine need. Again, it's difficult to discern that. I gave you an example that just happened here recently. Um, I have no idea what this young lady did, so I tried to find a way to help that didn't hurt. Um, and by her refusal of a ride, um, you know, I know people could say, well, maybe she was afraid to ride with a stranger or maybe she was afraid of this. Listen, she didn't even allow me to describe how anything was going to go. Uh, I would have taken my wife uh, to pick me up. She wasn't interested in the ride. She was interested in getting something else uh, here in El Paso to get a bus pass. Uh, you have to go to the local bus station and you have to purchase it, so forth and so on. It's not, it's not something that could be done remotely. Uh, can't do it online. Uh, I even looked it up. Can't do it. Uh, I don't know what the real agenda was, but my desire is to help, uh, especially I grew up uh, in a single-parent household, my mother, and there were times where we had to take bus rides to, from Steubenville, Ohio to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because I had a heart condition. I still do. Uh, but as a child, and I had to go to Children's Hospital on a regular basis, and I, I remember what that was like as a young child. We didn't have a vehicle on and off, and when we did have a vehicle, we never knew when it was going to start. I remember a time uh, where we'd have to push start the car. We'd have to back it up in the parking lot. We lived in the housing projects. We had to back, up, back it up in the parking lot and uh, give it a good push and get it to go down this little slight slope that was off to the right. I'm telling you what, there have been there were times where I did face plants uh, trying to push the car uh, in, in the snow and just slip and fall. Those were terrible times in my life. I feel for anybody that has to go through those types of things. I have empathy uh, and sympathy for them. I know what it's like uh, to live through those types of things. Uh, so how do we balance everything that we're talking about? How about if, number one, we understand the division between the world and Christians and keep it real? And on the other hand, remember that we're all God's creation. In Acts 17, 26-28, when Paul is preaching in Athens on Mars Hill, uh, because they had this um, idol, the unknown God that they worshipped, He's trying to teach them. He says he has made of one blood all nations of men afford to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as certain of our own poets have said for we are also his offspring. How about we look at... at creation, man, as our physical neighbors, people that are created by God. And yes, they have chosen to do evil, but you know, there are people that have chosen to do evil because they haven't been taught right. I need to think about, you need to think about how if you know the truth, the Word of God, the gospel, how that you might live in a manner that teaches it by action, and live in a manner that might present opportunities to teach it through the Word. Looking at people as human beings, the creation of God. In James chapter 3, it's a chapter talking about controlling your tongue. Verses 9 through 18, talking about the tongue, Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren... These things ought not so to be. 
Doth a fountain send forth its same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and, and fr fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Look at humanity in a way that you understand they're God's creation. Use your mouth for ways of peace. Use the wisdom that is from above that doesn't cause uh, strife. If in the very least, you can look at the world, and I'm not trying to teach you to look at man as though he is good and just misguided. The Bible says the world is evil. Let me look at a situation here that we face locally in El Paso. We live on the border of the United States and Mexico, and in recent years, it's been flooded by people who have illegally come into the country. And... We don't get reached out to uh, on a, a, any regular basis. We have a couple of brethren that come in contact uh, because of their jobs with people that have crossed the border illegally very often. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, how, how do you look at people like that? Well, with compassion, at least in this regard. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Well, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Thus saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers in the harvest. How about looking at even the worst of humanity as misguided people? People that do not have the knowledge of Christ. And as a Christian, if you are a Christian, that's how you look at people. If you're not a, a Christian, this is how I would look at you. Somebody that needs guidance. Uh, somebody that I feel sorry for. Regardless of what country somebody is from or how they've done things, what is to come for those outside of Christ is terrible. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8.9, talking about persecution of those in Thessalonica contextually says, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I think of that language, God's vengeance and flaming fire taken on people that don't obey the gospel. Whoa. And Jude, context about false teachers, verse 7, uses Sodom and Gomorrah's example, Genesis chapters 18 and 19, in the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I, I don't want to see that. I, I think back what Abraham did in Genesis 18, through 33, where he starts off with, Lord, if there be 50 righteous, will you save the cities? And he, and he continues to plead with God all the way down to 10, if you can find 10. And Sodom and Gomorrah was so corrupt that there weren't even 10. And God destroyed the cities thereof. I, I take into consideration, as we've been talking about, there, that there's people that just do not realize their spiritual state. People, especially in the world that we're in today, um, that they're a part of false doctrines and everything else, been misguided, uh, have been led astray. I feel sorry for them. Uh, I, I, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, you know, it's hard to do, but just imagine if right now at our age, we had never opened the scriptures and never learned the truth and didn't know anything, uh, what would we do if, you know, just right now, we're, we're sitting here and we're saying, uh, just to use language, this isn't correct language, but just to use language that somebody that doesn't know the Bible would do. Say, if I looked at my wife and said, I want to go to church. What would you do? And she said, well, we'd probably look online. Well, we're guessing because we're not in that situation, right? I mean, when I obeyed the gospel, there was no such thing as online. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to go online. So we're going to look, you know, Google something, right? 
we're not going to find the truth. We're going to find error. We might go over here to this church. Uh, I, I told her, I said, you know, what, what might we do? Well, in our neighborhood, um, somebody has just started assembling in an elementary school. They put signs out. We drive past them on Sunday morning as we're headed to assemble with faithful saints. Uh, said, you know what? We'd probably say, that's close. Let's go check that out. Well, we'd go in there. No doubt we would see some things that just wouldn't make sense. I mean, the scriptures make sense. Uh, and the more and more I've studied the Bible and learned, it just makes sense. Well, I know I'm going to see things there just don't make sense. And and then we're going to judge things like this. Do we like the people? Do this or that? We're going to keep looking. Ultimately, we're probably going to get frustrated. Probably going to get frustrated because the world we live in is full of much more misinformation than true information. I keep this in mind when I look at people that are lost. And, and it's not a new thing. The internet doesn't just provide. It's not like this is something new. The Jews who were taught of God... Paul talking about them in Romans 10, 1-3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. There it is, shameful and sad. Uh, sometimes people ask me why I still go door to door. And what I've done recently is hung uh, door hangers on doors where it has contact information my website, my willingness to have Bible studies with people, when it's just not doing anything. It, no, nobody seems very interested. Well, I'm telling you what, I'm motivated by these scriptures. Maybe there's just that one person that's looking and they can't find, and I want them to be able to find. Probably not. Going to happen on any regular basis. I don't know how else to find them. The reason I'm doing this podcast, you you who are listening, I want to help you with the gospel. I have compassion, especially for those that are misled. You know, I, I got an email uh, the day uh, on Friday morning. Uh, matter of fact, uh, anyway, uh, got an email where somebody wanted to comment about podcasts that I'd done. I'm not sure which podcast they were commenting, weren't very specific. Uh, but as I pull it up right here and and read it, this this person says to me, um, I enjoy listening to your legalistic, dramatic garbage. I, okay? Um, legalistic, dr- dramatic garbage. Well, I'm not going to reply to this email because I, I just generally don't argue back and forth to people. But if, if that person's listening to this, I just hope that you'll learn something and that it'll turn you to the truth. It goes on to say... Uh, that he's going to never obey Phariseeism. Um, okay, I'm not teaching what the Pharisees taught, but um, whatever one wants to think. I just hope that something resonates and someone steps back and says, wait a minute, what I just heard is the truth that I've not heard where I'm at or that I didn't know, and that that makes you explore other things, like, like this podcast. This subject that we're talking about, how to look at human beings. Now, balance, right? I mean, I'm not trying to say disregard 1 John 5, 19 or John 15, 18 and 19 or Romans 12, 9 scriptures that we've earlier talked about. The Bible teaches you to walk in wisdom. Somebody calls me up and asks for money. I'm not just going to give it to them. Uh, I'm not just going to, oh, okay, I, I want to help. You know, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seed, and with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I'm going to be cautious. I know what the world is. I know what's out there in the world. I know uh, a lot of people asking for help um, are looking to take advantage of somebody. Not ignorant of that. Furthermore, I don't want to contribute to somebody's sin. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, there were Christians. So we know... We're to love our brethren. This is a commandment of God. There were Christians in the congregation in Thessalonica. You see it when the first epistle is written. You see it here in the second that were refusing to work. Well, by helping them, you're contributing to their sinful uh, behavior. In fact, the instruction in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. That's towards brethren even. So we have to exercise some caution. We want to help. What's the way that I can help be a light without contributing to somebody's sin? I don't want to, I'm not ever going to hand somebody money. 
uh, that I don't know. Even if I had trillions of dollars, uh, I wouldn't do it. I, I would want to help in another way, a way that is truly helpful. And I want to be personally involved in that helping too, because ultimately, um, if I'm helping you in the flesh, but I don't do anything for your soul, I've done nothing good for you. So I, I, want, I want to balance that. And I'm not saying helping somebody is a form of evangelism. It's not. They're two separate things. Loving my neighbor as myself is not evangelism. And maybe this person is going to look at me and say, you know, I'll just use the earlier example. Maybe the young lady calls me back and says, okay, I'll take you up on, on that ride. And maybe as I'm talking to her, I'm talking to her about the gospel. And she says, I'm an atheist. Um, I don't care about the Bible or anything else. I'm not going to stop the car and say, okay, get out. I still care for this person's well-being physically as well. You know, even when Jesus was focused on his work, and here's a great example for us. Notice this in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, let me turn Matthew chapter 15 real quick. Uh, verses 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15 uh, 21 through 28. I'll make sure I'm right here. Okay. Then Jesus went thence and departed in the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the same coast and cried in him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Doesn't that just hurt your heart? She's begging for help. He answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Whew. Man. That's hard for me to read and hear from the mouth of our Lord, isn't it? But notice what happens. She said truth. She said truth. She recognized who she was. Lord spoke very directly to her. And then she says, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Even when Jesus was on a mission and somebody got in his way and she didn't deserve help, he still gave it. Even when it was a side chore, so to speak. Even when he's not going to turn and start teaching her the gospel and she's going to follow him. Well, Jesus is an example. He's the great high priest. And, and what we learn in him in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 14, we have a great high priest that's passed in the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and are and them that are out of the way, for he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So think about our Lord as our high priest, having compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48, just to, to, to kind of give us this balance of the world is evil, there are adversaries that hate us. He says, You've heard it been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your fathers in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sending rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love ye, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not the publicans do so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And then in Luke 6, 35, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And reward is great, and you should be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. 
Remember what Jesus did on the cross in Luke 23, 26 and following? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And part his raiment and cast lots. Because he said that in Acts 2, the people that were responsible for murdering our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ were given the opportunity to repent, be baptized, and added to the church. Compassion, mercy, even on those that are in opposition to us. Think about Romans 12, 17 through 21. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, providing things honest in the sight of men. If it be possible, as much life as you live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And if you keep reading into chapter 13, you're going to see the role of civil government in punishing evildoers. And then you're going to come back to uh, what we read earlier in Romans 13, 8 through 10, to love your neighbor as yourself, not working any ill toward your neighbor. And you're being reminded, the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor, not just the person that lives next door, certainly not just your brethren, but those that are in the world. God's able to do this. We've got to learn from God. And Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. What's He offer to all people? Necessary things, sunshine and rain. Spiritual things, salvation, right? But he also is able to separate himself from darkness. In 1 John 1, 5 and 6, This then is the message which you have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If I see someone with a genuine need, and I can help in a way that doesn't lead to further transgression on their part, and I have the means to do so, I need to do it. And I need to learn from God to be able to separate doing good and fellowship with evil. I don't have to go out and be part of the world. I don't have to join myself to the world. I can keep my separation from the world. I don't have to become somebody's best friend. I don't, I don't have to get into a close relationship with someone. But... If means and opportunity are there and other scriptures, you know, like, is it a good work? The scriptures tell us about every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Is it a good work? Then, then I have the opportunity to do that. I learn from God because he's an example. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us, giving himself for an offering and sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. There's a balance, right? I'm to have a special relationship with my brethren. 1 John 1, 3, that we have seen and heard declare unto you that you have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not talking about having fellowship with the world. I, I, God draws that clear line. His fellowship is with those in the light, 1 John 1, 7. No darkness at all, like we read in verse, verses 5 and 6. John 9, 31, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. God provides the physical means by which somebody can obtain what they need. Sunshine in the rain. I can learn from that. But he doesn't have the same relationship with them that are in the world as he does with those that are in his son. He hears my prayers. I'm a faithful Christian. His eyes are over the righteous. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12. But he has a different relationship with the wicked. He doesn't just destroy them though. He doesn't just set them aside. How about the ultimate mentality that comes to caring about somebody's day? What about his or her day? Doesn't that require me not to be just so focused on myself? Well, where do I learn how not to be like that? In Philippians 2, 3 through 8, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. But every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not being selfish. Maybe the service was terrible. But maybe there's something else going on here, and I need to care about it more than what's going on with me. Maybe I need to ask them, how are you doing? Maybe I need to genuinely care when I ask them that. Hmm. 
Wow, right? Whoever thought. And don't just sow empathy or kindness if there's something to be gained. Think about Luke 14, 12 through 14. He said unto him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, thy brethren, or thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest I also bid thee again, and recompense be made unto thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, maimed, lame, and blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. What's the teaching there? It's not to have a feast at your house and invite people off the streets. And, and again, be aware of what's going on. You don't want to come downtown El Paso with a 15-passenger van and load in the people that are sleeping on Father Rom Street uh, in, in the street. You don't know who you just picked up, who you just brought to your house. You have to have a level of awareness. But when means and opportunity are there, don't look to just do what you'll get repaid for. Don't just offer something. I've, I've known people that say, I'll help you if you have a Bible study with me. Now, see, that that's, that's not what the Scriptures are teaching. That's not what Jesus did in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. By doing something nice and good, I have taught godliness to somebody. But when somebody has a need, don't fall asleep on that. If you have means and opportunity and all the qualifiers that we've talked about, you remember what happened? Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 36 through 46, and he takes Peter, James, and John, and he was sorrowful and heavy. He said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Watch with me. What did they do? They fall asleep. So he came to his disciples. He found them sleeping. And what he said to Peter was, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he goes and he prays to his father. It's just sad. Watch with me. But they didn't. They were tired. They went to sleep. Don't be the one that goes to sleep on somebody that has a genuine need when you have a genuine means and opportunity to help. And don't be like the world. The world shows that superficial concern. You know, I'm not saying go ask everybody how they're doing. If you're not going to take the time out of your day to stop and listen and then care about the answer, and then if possible, do something about it, don't ask the question. As Christians, we're the ones that need to show the world what's true and what honesty looks like. In Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 16, here's a good balance point of the world's wicked, so how do I live in it? Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The church in Thessalonica told in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, rather, See that you see that none render evil for evil unto man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and unto all men. Follow that which is good. Be the person that genuinely cares about somebody's day. And it, it may, you know, more times than not, people will say, well, I just don't have extra money to help somebody. So? You have two ears to hear? Maybe someone only needs somebody to talk to. If you, if you can, give them that. And, and if you know the truth, let me compound this for those Christians that are listening to this. If you know the truth, you have the wisdom of God to share with people. What a wonderful person to talk to. Somebody that genuinely cares and has wisdom that's not of this world. I don't have to turn to my Bible and tell somebody, here, read this or read that. Let's say I picked up somebody and gave them a ride to their job because I had means and opportunity to do so, and the situation is not too suspect, so forth and so on, and all these qualifiers that we could throw in place. And I'm driving, and I just ask them, how are things going? How are you doing? You know, How's your life? You starting a new job? Uh, what's that like? What what were you doing before? What's this? What's that? And maybe this person says to you, you know, well, I just lost my job previously because I did this, this, and this. What a great opportunity to start offering good godly counsel about learning from your mistakes and, you know, giving them the opportunity to think things through. 
You don't have to end the conversation with an invitation to obey the gospel. How about end the conversation with the opportunity to find the true wisdom? An invitation to a Bible discussion. Genuine, heartfelt, meaningful. In Galatians chapter 6, it's talking about spiritual things. Uh, you know, the chapter starts off with, If any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest also be tempted. As you read down through verse 10, verse 10 says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially them of the household of faith. That's a great summary of this lesson. Let us do good unto all. 99% of the times it has nothing to do with money or possessions, but time and effort. Care about what somebody else is going through, how his or her day is going. I hope this lesson has got you challenged a little bit to think about your fellow man, even if you're not a Christian, just to consider what it is to care about other people. And if you're not a Christian, man, please get a hold of me. Let's talk. Call me up at 915-525-5794. Email me at brian at wordsoftruth.net. If you're not a Christian, let me help you learn of that. You know, if we can't find a congregation in your area that's faithful to the Lord, man, we, we try to work on getting you here to El Paso, doing something, trying to figure out what you can do to truly be saved and look to eternal life in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can certainly visit my word website, wordsoftruth.net, but I tell you right now, I'd rather give you my time and talk to you personally. These podcasts are general lessons. Uh, I don't know all that's listening. Uh, I'd love the opportunity to get to know you and help you with the scriptures in a way that personally fits your life. Hey, so... I got a listener request to do a podcast on Satan and demons and related things. That's what we're going to talk about on Tuesday uh, in that podcast. I hope you'll tune in and you'll keep listening. Um, I just love knowing that I'm able to share the gospel, the word of God, the good news with people, all the word of God, the good news, uh, the various subjects we get to talk about. I'd love your feedback. I, I love hearing from the people I've heard from, even if it's negative. Even if you you know want to call me a Pharisee or whatever the case may be, you can you can call me whatever you want to. Uh, I've been called things that are uh, much worse uh, if you're going to put it in that way. Um, I've got pretty thick skin; those things don't affect me too much. You can be disgusted with me, and I still would love the opportunity to talk to you about the gospel and the opportunity to share the word of God with you, an opportunity to be a good neighbor to you an opportunity to be a friend, a listening ear. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, to this podcast. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Tuesday comes about and the world doesn't end and we'll get to hear the new one, next one. Uh, if before then you'd like to talk, get a hold of me. Thank you.